0: Welcome to the Shutters and Shells podcast. This is going to be episode 4. Special guest this time around is going to be Steve Jessmore. Steve is a five-time Michigan Photographer of the Year. He's in the Central Michigan University Hall of Fame, a award-winning photojournalist for over 30 years now if I'm correct, Steve.
1: Yep over
0: 30 years. Yeah. You, are, you are a living legend as far as I'm concerned and we have a lot to learn from you. I want to have Steve on the show because he has a lot of experience to share and uh, I think everyone needs to hear it. The man uh, knows his stuff and takes some amazing photographs. So uh, Steve, welcome to Shutters and Shells.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here.
0: Well, it's good to have you, man. It really is. It really is good to have you. So I just want to start everything off by asking uh, just simple stuff. Let's get into the background of who is Steve Jessmore. How did you get started in photography? What was your drive? Uh, what brought you to be uh, a photojournalist starting out? Or did you ever like start out in photojournalism or was that moved on to later?
1: Um, so long ago. So uh, back in the 70s, uh, to be quite honest, uh, I really wanted to go to concerts and my parents said they were too much money. And, um, you know, I think I saw Queen and Bob Seger together for $6.25 in the second row. And, nice. uh, but, you know, the, I wanted to go to concerts all the time. And they said, well, it's too much money. And I said, well, if I can find a way to go for free, can I? And they said, yeah, sure. So um, my father owned a camera store. So I grew up around cameras and you know, I had a basic Mamaya single lens reflex, uh, 35 millimeter camera and film. I had a dark room in my basement and, um, you know, I just really liked making pictures, but nothing in particular, a lot of nature actually, which is interesting. We had a cottage, I'd walk the woods, but you know, not really animals or just more scenics, but, uh, I did like live music and I still do. And, um, So, you know, it was just a real incentive to try to figure out something to do. So at 16, I went to my local newspaper and uh, it was called the Saginaw News. And, uh, you know, I took a couple of the concert pictures I'd shot. I had seen Chicago, you know, the original, cat, you know, the original lineup. And that's awesome. And (laughs) so I took some pictures and I just said, hey, look. I can do this job. You know, let me do it. Let me shoot some concerts for you. Um, Here's we had no cell phones. We had no computers. We had none of that. So I had, uh, you know, I gave him all the phone numbers I could think of. Here's my home number. Here's my dad's office number. Here's here's my school office number. Here's, you know, all these numbers and call me whenever you want and I'll go shoot concerts for you. So long story short, they called me out of art class one day and I got, a, I got called to the office, which kind of freaked me out, but I went to the office and there was a call from the Saginaw news and said, Hey, we got a concert tonight, Parliament and the Funkadelics. And uh, can you go shoot it? And I said, yeah, I'll be there. And so I went to that concert. Um, you know, I uh, got backstage. I met George Clinton. Oh, that's I awesome. Pictures. Uh, you know, I, 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 got home. I processed them in the basement, black and white, eight by tens. My dad dropped them off at the Saginaw News in the morning on the way into work, which was right by his office. I got pictures in the paper that day. And uh, by the time I left high school, I shot over 100 concerts for the Saginaw News. Wow. I got paid, paid for everyone. Uh, I got to shoot the whole concert back then. They never took, took uh, you know, kicked you out after three songs or anything. And so I had that, that love for really, uh, that was my sort of high school job. It was my uh, passion. I, you know, wheeled and dealed a lot of different things because of that. The ladies in the Civic Center would save me two tickets every concert, second row. I had great seats. I got to see every concert. So, so anyway, I hadn't really thought of it as a career and I uh, had great grades and, you know, it was sort of a uh, real science, math heavy and, Um, my parents really wanted me to do a dental pre-med sort of thing and so I got in uh, into the honors program at uh, a number of places bigger universities Michigan Michigan State I didn't go I went to Central Michigan Mm -hmm. I just a lot smaller campus just seemed a better fit for me I went to honors I thought I'll get out in three three and a half years and go into one of the other med programs or something and uh, uh I took a photojournalism my first semester is sort of a blow off uh, my three roommates had it I had uh, twenty one credits i uh took that three credit photojournalism class and um that was it you know it's just like the end of the end of that first year i uh, sort of started moving that direction
0: oh man that's that's quite a way to get started. Well, uh, you know, I didn't know that about you, that you started out with the concerts and all that, but that seems like an awesome way to really start out into the business and start making money. Cause one, you're getting a lot of experience shooting things, you know, that are happening fast and capturing the moments. Plus you're working with, you know, old film where you had to process all that stuff yourself not like the digital age now, but you also got to see all of these concerts like up close and personal. I mean, I, did you feel like you couldn't believe they were
1: paying you for this at some points? Oh my god, yeah. You know, I mean, it was great. I mean, it wasn't like I got rich, but it was uh, a great, you know, to be able to go and, you know, and actually to have all my friends around me while I shot and and to see these amazing bands, you know, you think back at them, you know, now at all the people I saw and met and um, it just really opened the door. It was a, the camera was a great you know, it was just a great tool even back then for me to be creative and to, um, have fun in life. And, um, I can honestly say I, um, have never done anything else than make pictures to get paid. You know, as far as I know, I never worked a fast food job or, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I cut lawns as a kid and things like that, but I'd never had a job after I, uh, you know, got out of, into college, even that wasn't photography.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's a big pitfall. A lot of, um, the younger generation now with the whole digital camera age kind of falls into where they start taking photographs and they don't have the basis of fundamentals and something you learn when working with film is you only have one chance. So you're much more focused on doing things in camera than worrying about post-processing later. And now, sure. yeah, and, and now, like, you have that basis and that, that foundation kind of set underneath you where now you're working in digital, obviously, and I know you you use a, what's a model Sony do you use? I know you have a Sony.
1: Yeah, I've got a number of them, but oh, okay. uh, the A1 and the A92 are the two cameras I use huh. the most.
0: That's good cameras, but now, like, in that kind of digital age, do you feel that, you can be a little more uh what can i say a little more flexible with how you're shooting things because you have so much availability to kind of shoot a hundred different shots and maybe a couple of them will be good as opposed to when you were working with film it had to be that shot had to be the good one because you can't take it back and you can't you know go further than you already did
1: right yeah i mean if we um well i mean you shot pictures and Mm -hmm. had no idea until you got back to the dark room you couldn't peek you couldn't uh You know, if you shot 20 rolls of film, you had so much work to do when you got back. 20 rolls of film was only 720 photos. Mm -hmm. I mean, I shoot thousands in the morning now, it seems like, you know, sometimes and, you know, to have to weed through. But it was a whole different ballgame when you actually had to physically develop the film, you know, physically dry the film, edit through frame by frame by frame by frame in the negative versus the positive. Mm -hmm. And you know, then actually physically make a print to see what it looked like, and mm. it was a very time-consuming process. But you know, one I still kind of miss. But it, um, I, you know, did I would never go back, honestly. You know, I mean, I think I get everything I ever got out of the uh, film, but I'm glad I I have that basis. I guess I, I'm one of the guys that uh, started in black and white. Uh, it was revolutionary when I was in high school, 70s, 400 speed film came out. I mean, <laughs> my God, 400 speed, you know, during my journalism career, you know, I went from having to shoot color positive to, you know, black and white, but having to shoot color positive and light it, um, because it was so slow and, you know, we had to have, uh, just specific guidelines of, uh, you know, color. So we used, uh, positive film at first and then we went to negative film and then we started scanning negative film you know on desktop scanners versus drum scanners Mm. and so I kind of like every step of the way I learned quickly that technology is a tool and I need to embrace each step to try to see if it's going to help me or not and um, you know I'm just truly amazed that you know where we're at now with 50 megapixel cameras and 30 frames a second and um you know it truly is so much easier quite honestly to get a you know a a well exposed sharp picture nowadays than it ever was you know way back when yeah
0: and especially in the age of mirrorless because even moving from you know, from film to DSLR to now moving to mirrorless, um, where you can see exactly where your exposure is. What you see is what you get, pretty much. Looking Absolutely. through that viewfinder, that's that was the biggest jump I ever had. Because I started out, I'm 31 years old, so I started out in digital age. We already had DSLRs; they were already a big thing. My first real camera was a Nikon D40, and that was it. Was really a camera at the time. It was entry level. It was fun, but even then, you had to learn the fundamentals of exposing a shot because it, yeah, you could look at it right away and see what you did. But if you're working an event or at, out somewhere, you can't be, you know, looking down at your camera every 10 seconds to see if your shot is exposed. You kind of got to learn how to adjust your shutter, your aperture, your ISO, just make every, make sure everything's in sync. But if you're looking back on how you guys did that with film, it always amazes me because I never worked with film And it's something I always thought that maybe I should have done when I was younger, just to get that better understanding of the composition and the finesse that photography really takes. So you have that kind of background behind you that now in the full on digital age is doing nothing but helping you out that much more. Cause you just, anyone can take a photo. It takes a lot for someone to make a photograph and you definitely make photographs. It's an art. Some of the photos that you've taken, I've seen a lot of your work and I'm, a huge fan of it. And, um, now moving forward, now you got into photojournalism germ- after college. Um, now how did that play out? And like, what was your main focus with photojournalism? Because I know you've won several awards for your work in photojournalism over the years. And, uh, did you, were you passionate about anything you were shooting? Were you doing it just to kind of be involved with the world around you? What was the real driving factor behind photojournalism being
1: your thing? I think for me, you know, I like the, uh, just everything about it. I mean, especially the 99% of my shots had people in them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of ironic nowadays, 99% of my pictures have ducks in them. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's like totally opposite, but I think I really enjoyed. Um, I was always known as a community journalist. Um, you know, I stayed at my hometown newspaper, um, for 15 years. It took me, um, after college, uh, yeah, big, uh, depression at that point, basically recession, um, you know, early eighties, yeah. uh, took me three and a half years to get full time. Um, you know, again, no, uh, internet to, uh, find jobs. You know, you looked at postings, they were, uh, you know, tried to find postings, um, you know, national press divers or wherever, um. Word of mouth, but you know to get a job back then was very difficult. a lot of diversification you know it was generally uh, you know a white man 's world you know in photojournalism, so women and minorities there was a lot of uh, diversifying which was wonderful for the industry, but all that was happening at that point, so it was pretty difficult to get a job um, once I did get the job again, I stayed for fifteen years. it was my hometown. Um, it was wonderful to be telling stories in my my town I always personally my my favorite thing to do was to follow something beginning to end over a period of time and and show the nuances and to show the progression and hopefully have a positive outcome and uh um you know just an inspirational story that was what I always liked to do so um that was uh where I put my energy and effort during uh my newspaper years you know I did general assignments like everybody else um Worked uh, usually one night a week at night. Um, you know, so like for me, Wednesday night I'd work three to eleven, but the rest of the week eight to four. So you'd you'd work three to eleven, but it was really three to two in the morning, and I'd have to be back at eight a.m. the next day. Did that for a number Rough of hours. years. Yeah, weekends. You know, you're always on call. I had a pager again. No cell phones back then when I started out, but we That's had right, pagers. <laughs> yeah. So you get called out of bed to go to a fire at 2 a.m. Um, you know, it was just a uh, interesting career, but I loved it. And I loved the people I met and I got, uh, you know, I loved the people that I got to tell their stories and um, feel really fortunate, uh, you know, that I was able to take my curiosity and turn it into, you know, stories that were uh, inspirational to people.
0: Yeah, you get to see the world around you. And even more so, even though you were just focusing on your local community and where you grew up, I mean, it makes the world almost seem bigger when you're involved in all the things that are happening around you. Right. And yeah, it's like you're going out and like you said, you're getting called out to a fire. Now, if you were at home working, excuse me, working a nine to five job somewhere. you were just sitting at home, you wouldn't have known that fire happened. You would have heard in the news the next morning, but you weren't there. The fact that you're there and you're taking photographs of this event, those photos are going into the paper. It's a big sense of pride being able to inform your community as a whole about what's going on around them just through your lens. So, you know, I commend you for, you know, taking such a a passionate stance on staying with your community and kind of being that involved and seeing things start to finish like that. It's it's a true sign of a, a master of their craft. So you
1: know, hats off to you on that. Yeah. One thing I would just add is that I think a lot of people, you know, with any job think you should just step up or step up and get promoted or, Hey, I'm out of college and I'm ready to get this job. But you know, for, I think I told you three and a half years when I got out of college, I couldn't find anything to even apply for. And, you know, I felt like I was capable and I felt like I should be that guy that stepped right in. But for three and a half years, you know, it, it took me a year before I could get regular shots or assignments back at the newspaper where I worked all my high school years because other people had stepped in when I left. And they told me, hey, you know, you're just going to leave. So we got to keep our our base. But it took that year before I started getting assignments. And one year I worked I worked at my father's camera store. I did advertising and I did sales and a lot of different things for him. It was quite a large store. And, uh, you know, that year I worked full time the second year out of school, but then I also worked virtually every night during the week, 50 out of 52 weekends for the Saginaw News as a stringer. So, you know, I was newly married trying to, you know, pay my dues and get into the job, which I finally did get into, but it, it, takes a lot of paying dues and i think whether it's wildlife photography which i've learned this last year or whether it was journalism or whatever it is i think that's the thing maybe a lot of people don't understand there's so many great photographers it's to a point so much easier now with the auto exposure and the 50 megapixels and all that other stuff technology that the dues paying and to separate yourself is uh is really something you have to do yourself and pay those dues. So that really taught me that back then extrapolating to even now and everything I approach nowadays.
0: Yeah, that's, um, that's a lesson I recently, uh, learned pretty much the hard way because i know you and i started talking um a few months ago about i mean i found you on a facebook post you made with um that picture of that was that a hawk or an eagle looking down on that field mouse that it caught and that was an amazing photo when i saw it i was like who is this guy that was the first thing i said to myself was who is this why haven't i heard of him because that was just an amazing shot that was uh, one of those you know, magazine worthy shots that you don't see someone take all the time. Everyone could take a good photo, but that particular shot was one that resonated with me because I understood how hard it was to get it. And when we started talking and going into, you know, Uh, you've been published in your, your newspaper workings and your photojournalism workings. And that was something I was working on as far as getting published as a wildlife photographer. I was also going through the growing pains, like you just spoke of about paying dues where I had a couple of companies reach out to me, uh, for licensing some of my photos, not for publication, but for, uh, advertising and things like that. And I did, I, you know, sold them out. No big deal. But then they called me back probably about a couple weeks later and said, hey, we need more of photos like this. And I had to turn to them and go, I I don't have them. This is all I have. And that's when I stopped getting that phone call from them. And uh, it was very quickly realized that I was um, overstepping where I thought I was just because I could take a good picture doesn't mean I have the... Current chops or the current library or the backing to keep doing that or do it in a full time capacity or do it in a way that would um, become a full time career, yet, you know? So, what you just described as far as paying your dues and going through years of trying to get that, you know, that, that one job you wanted where you had enough background and enough standing in the community and in the business is something I'm really striving towards. And I realized now, uh, how really difficult that is, especially now, like you said, in the digital age, it's, it's not easy <laughs> at all. There's a lot of competition.
1: Oh, there is. And, um, you know, it's broader than it's ever been. And, you know, people work for credit nowadays versus, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I still get that, hey, we'll give you a credit if we can run your photo. Well, wonderful. But I do this for a living and that's not going to help me pay my car payment or my lens payment or, you know, and I think that it's kind of insulting, you know, I mean, for people just to do that. I, I understand at times you need to do that, social media, whatever, it doesn't hurt. But just, um, you know, I always had the same feeling with unpaid internships where people went and traveled to different places and worked for this fortune 500 company or a profitable newspaper and did an unpaid internship. Yeah. You got to pay your dues, but you know, uh, people should really be paying for the, what we produce, which is uh unique and, uh, special. And, uh, so that to me has always been one of those things I've, um, I just really have felt strongly about
0: mm-hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a lot of photographers out there who are getting kind of hooked in by a lot of these companies. And I, I noticed this when a few reached out to me and I'm not going to talk exact prices of what they were offering me, but it was very low and I knew it was low and I knew what the going rate was for the photographs. I knew what my work was worth and I would n- try and negotiate with them and be like, listen, this is what my new usual rate is. And they'd be like, well, we got a photo like this for, you know, X amount of dollars, something very, very small, like a pittance. And I would say to them, well, then go buy it because you're not getting mined for that much. And uh, it, it hurts having so many people out there who are taking, I mean, it's not bad for them to take good photos. That's great. But they don't do, do it for like a business reason. They do it just because they enjoy it. And if someone offers them, say, $20 for their photo, they're like, oh, someone's buying my picture. Awesome. And they sell it. And that hurts people who actually try to do this for a living and try to establish themselves in the end because now all these companies are turning around trying to undercut everybody because of
1: it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts. I, uh, yeah. I know a lot of actually, you know, I would photograph pro sports and a lot of pro sports photographers. I had friends that actually worked for teams and, you know, a lot of teams now hire somebody just because they have, you know, well, I'll do it for free. And, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a dentist, I'm a whatever I can afford this really, <laughs> great equipment. And they do it kind of like why I did the concerts. I mean, for them, it's a status thing, but they're not charging. And, you know, they happen to have the right cameras and the right lenses and autofocus. And, you know, I mean, I I don't know. I I don't know what the answer is, but I think it takes more people like you and I to to stand up when we get to that point and just say, well, you know, thanks anyway. I'm honored you want my picture, but I'm going to need more than that.
0: Yeah, I had um, a couple of established wildlife photographers that I've talked to guys who are kind of in the business and are published and do a lot of the magazines, mostly for white tailed deer and hunting game and things like that. I had a lot of conversations with them about um, sales and publications and licensing. And what the biggest thing they said to me is you need to learn to say, no, you need to understand how much your work is really worth. And if you set yourself up now, early on the game saying, you know, my work is worth this much money. It's never really gonna go up. It's gonna be very hard to negotiate it up and you kind of dug yourself into a hole. But if you set yourself at what the market rate is and they really want it, they will pay it. And then you have room to go from there later on if you have the amount of photographs they want later down the road. So it's kind of hard when you have someone like you described who does it for the fun of it and still takes great photos. I mean, good for them if they're taking great shots. But they're also hurting the photography community as a whole. And I can't see it as a terrible thing because I'll I'll never take away someone's passion to want to create. And I'll never take away from someone's passion to want to be there. And if, if your benefit is you get to go sit by a football game in the end zone taking photos and that is the best thing you want to do in your life and you don't want to get paid for it, good for you. If you got that opportunity, good for you. But if these sports teams or companies turn around, they want someone who... Can be there for every game and can be there with the teams and has, you know, a library stacked and has the contract stacked and is ready to go for multiple uses. They need to realize that's something you need to pay for.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. I uh, mean, I'm with you on that too. I get it. You know, it is hard. One of the hardest things I've found the last year, or two, uh, three years freelancing is, you know, hitting that spot and you know trying to figure out what to charge and what people, what to give people for what rate, you know, and things like that. And I don't know that I've gotten to the correct spot yet, you know, or where I feel really comfortable, but, but it is never, it, it's an ever changing, um, you know, you sort of just have to morph. And uh, I feel like I'm a little better at it than I was, but it, but it is difficult So yeah. value I, as a journalist. We would never hesitate though to pay for, 500 words or, or, you know, a thousand words for the story, but Hey, can you, you know, provide a picture for us for free? You know, it was, that was a very common thing. And, you know, um, uh, still uh, watch spot news or whatever you'll get, I'll get people, you know, NBC or I, well, I'm not going to name names and it might not have been NBC. I don't know, but networks, you know, coming at you and saying, Hey, we'll give you credit if we can run your picture. And why are you going to pay me? Well, well no you know, but we'll give you credit and and you know I mean that's the thing that's where I get really upset when you get somebody that's making millions and billions and and you know again we, we have to get the value of photos being equal to other forms of art and creative uh, writing or whatever.
0: Yeah, most companies kind of understand that. Most, um, a lot of brands don't get that. And I think it may be a problem with, like you said, about people pay for 500 or a thousand words. It's because they understand they've had to write before. Everyone's had to type something before. Everyone's had to write something before. Everyone's had to think of their own ideas and they understand the work that goes involved with it. So they kind of give it a value, but not everyone has gone out there and tried to do this kind of photography. They don't see the back end. They don't see the storage, the hosting, the, the equipment you have to buy, the actual time you have to invest they don't actually understand that because they've never done it which makes sense and because of that they don't value it as much so anyone i've ever spoken to in any kind of um any kind of licensing or publication that has done any kind of photography always offers me what's close to a fair price like we'll negotiate something that works for both of us but it's always something fair because they understand the value of the work That's that's the goal it comes down to. Now you moved from photojournalism to recently you've gotten into wildlife photography, which I mean, that's, that's my deal. I I love wildlife photography. I never did any photojournalism in my life. I always just kind of focused on nature and recently gotten to, you know, hunting stuff because I've always been a hunter and started doing photos of deer and Turkey and all different kinds of hunting game. And, um, you've recently moved more into, you know, I've seen your, your ducks, your birds, of prey, your, you know, you have a couple of photos of deer you put up there recently, which are awesome. So what made you kind of, I know you said you used to love taking photos of nature. Did you just kind of want to go back to your roots or did you look at this as a new way to branch out and become another career? What was the, the next step you took to really move into uh, riding down the Torch River and uh, taking all these great photos?
1: Well, you know, in between photojournalism, I was a university photographer. Mm -hmm. So for CMU, I was their only full-time photographer for uh, going on six years. And uh, so I got remarried and uh, moved a few hours away um, in 2018. And I started freelancing higher ed and uh, just freelancing for a living, which I had never done in my life. I uh, had a wonderful year in two thousand and eighteen. you know I started uh making contacts with a number of people around the state you know who used to be former newspaper uh, colleagues uh, that were into p r now and and so you know my freelance career started picking up Two thousand and nineteen had uh, a year that I had never dreamed of you know freelancing it was really uh, I gained a lot of traction I had a lot of repeat clients uh, it was really wonderful, and it continued that way into 2020, uh, March 8th, and 2020. My world was like everybody else's. The whole COVID hit. Um, my phone literally rang off the hook that day and canceled the rest of the work I had for the rest of the year. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, that uh, happened to everybody.
1: So, yeah. As a freelancer, that's you know that's my bread and butter. That's the only income I have coming in. And, uh, it was, you know, I mean, it was tough and, uh, it was almost like getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer or whatever, you know, that day and started thinking, well, man, you know, what am I going to do? Not that I'm going to starve or, or anything, but what am I going to do? And I kind of wallowed for a week or two, you know, and thought, what am I going to do? I'm sitting here and it's a very gut wrenching feeling. <laughs> Yeah. And we all can probably relate to it in one way or another. Obviously all our worlds have changed during COVID, but I had, you know, I, I was married for 30 plus years ahead of that and raised three children and, you know, they were out of the house and, you know, so my life was always just photojournalism. I never knew, you know, it was a lot of times six and seven days a week. Even the college job was like that. Oftentimes a lot of nights and weekends, odd hours. So I'd never really had time to like go out and shoot nature, you know, and yeah, I'd go up North and I'd sit on the front porch and look out at the river and, you know, take a few pictures here and there, but I never really got into it much. It just never seemed like, you know, I was always trying to please everybody else, not me. And, uh, COVID hit and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, my wife's still working full, my, she's working full time. She got moved home with her company and, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden I had this, this block of time and, um, I just decided that it was a gift, you know, at that point I wasn't ready to retire. I, I was not ready to sit and watch television or anything else or sit on the front porch and watch, you know, the river. I, uh, just really started thinking, okay, the gift of time, what am I going to do? I'm going to learn. I'm going to talk to other photographers like you're doing. I'm going to learn from people I really respect and wonder how they did that. I'm going to call and ask them. I'm going to watch some videos. I'm going to improve my craft. And I was thinking more of my craft of photojournalism and, and uh, you know, at higher education photography, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one day I just kind of wandered, to the backyard here at my house and we live out in the country and country sub, you know, and have a kind of in a bowl and our backyards, all trees and a lot of birds. And I saw these beautiful finches and all these other birds on the back porch. And I thought, eh, I should just take my camera out there and try to photograph them. And so I did, you know, and I had a ball. And ironically this morning when I woke up, I got my Facebook memory from a year ago. Mm-hmm. It was one year ago today that I did that.
0: Oh wow! So it's, it's exactly a year since you uh, started going down this road.
1: Exactly a year since I published my first five or six or seven pictures on Facebook of birds.
0: Oh, it's awesome! People
1: went nuts over them, you know, because they're and really good. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it was <laughs> this morning I saw that. Yeah, but uh, you know, they were finches and nuthatches and and just your typical backyard birds. And I took uh, three hundred to eight nut- two X and, uh, whatever. And, you know, sat out there on the back deck on the lawn chair and, and just kind of sat there, you know, no camo, no nothing. And they came in and I photographed them and that you know, was kind of fun, you know? And so I went out a few more times, you know, and, and did that. And, but they were all static. They're all sitting there, you know, and when they would fly, I didn't get them. And, and photojournalism, we talked about this earlier, but, Photojournalism and concerts and things like that were always about the moments and storytelling moments. And for me, that's what it's all about. I get you know nothing wrong with a beautiful picture of a bird, you know, but for me, it's all about composing on the fly and and trying to make us you know this this just erratic. You never know what's going to happen, you know, and make that into a beautiful composition that to me was where I saw myself heading very, very, very quickly. And uh, I happened to get an assignment in July of last year. And uh, I do a, a sort of a retail magazine in Michigan. I get frequent assignments for them. And they had a story on how hard kayaks were to buy. I'd never been in a kayak. And we had two up north. And, you know, they were the kind that you get all wet when you ride in <laughs> and, you know, everybody tells me I'm going to go over. And so I didn't want to take my cameras out, but I photographed my daughter and son-in-law in a kayak, you know, and, and, uh, it, it looked kind of fun. And I got some pretty pictures, you know, for this magazine and other people on the river and kayaks. And I thought they left them on the shore when they came in. And I thought, you know, I should just try this. And I went out and it was like, I had the best time. So I, uh, Came in, you know, just raving. I I realized the river on the other side of the river where I stare every morning from the porch when we're up there, there's a whole pond system through this whole marsh. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing, you know. And I've always loved like bugs and, you know, stuff. I could never have a dog or a cat, but my mom would let me keep anything in my room in an aquarium. So I had crayfish and frogs and tadpoles and all that stuff. So here I'm seeing all this stuff and the ducks flying and wood ducks and mallards and, you know, all that stuff when I'm going through and I came in just ecstatic. And my wife said, well, you better get a good kayak if you're going to get one, if you're going to take those cameras out. So I bought a nice open top kayak and I started mm-hmm. going in the marsh and photographing that. So long, you know, Again, long story short, I got, I got bit right then and there, you know, with the wildlife again. And and uh, you know, I'd sit out during the golden hours in the morning and at night, and I'd sit out at the end of the dock, out in the middle. You know, no camo, no nothing, and just wait for stuff to come to me. And and half of that was right. I I do feel like you have to let stuff come to you and be themselves. Oh yeah, but I'm, you
0: know, I'm the, a big advocate of that.
1: Yeah, the camo and the you know, being out in the open and all that—that that probably wasn't the right way to do it. So well, I mean, I have, it still
0: worked out for you.
1: Yeah, but I've learned, you know, through the year and I've morphed and I've, I've gone so many different directions. And again, I've, it was a challenge. And the wildlife to me posed a challenge. There were no people to take pictures of. I had to isolate. Um, I didn't want to catch COVID. I didn't want to give it to anybody else. I couldn't <laughs> see or do what I normally did. I wanted to be constructive and creative and it gave me an outlet.
0: No, that's uh, it's, it's addicting, to say the least, once you get that first unique, wonderful photo of a wild animal doing something that otherwise no one else would really see and no one else would really be around. But you were there for that moment. And not only were you there for that moment, you were there to capture that moment and show it to the rest of the world. When you do that and people are in awe of it and see the same sense of wonder that you have when you took the photo, it's it's such a great feeling of accomplishment. It's so fulfilling that you just want to keep doing it every day as often as you can.
1: Yep. No, that's been my feeling too about it. And, you know, I've never been a guy that could wear camo. I never hunted, never did anything, but now I feel right at home in camo. You know, I've got a whole closet full of it. I've got bags (laughs) in my car. I've got, you know, gloves. I've got everything. And honest to God, the first day I wore it, the, the, difference in my kayak wearing camo versus non-camo was unbelievable. And, uh, so, you know, but to me, it just being out there and, and, uh, you know, again, the challenge, it's not like I uh, photojournalism, we could virtually never pose anything unless it was a posed portrait. You know, you mm-hmm. could never say, Hey, would you, can you do this again for me? Or, uh, you know, do this again over in the better light or, you know, can you, whatever you just, did not uh, interject like that yeah you got
0: one shot that's it
1: yep so for me wildlife is a natural extension of that Mm -hmm. where you know i don't know what it's random and you know again most of the events were random as i learn, i wish i had your knowledge you know about hunting and animal behavior that is as important as to me the technical side of it in in part you got to have access to these birds before they, you know, know where they're going to fly and all that in the time of day and the time of year and the, all of that. And, oh yeah, you know, it's extremely you important. Yep. So, you know, it's been a great learning experience. It's been a, a very constructive time. It's, uh, I think the biggest benefit out of it was, I didn't realize, was everybody was in the same boat as I was, that they're all isolated and they're all out You know, I mean, so many of my friends, you know, were in their four walls, you know, they weren't seeing anybody, they weren't getting out to see things. And in any normal time, they would have appreciated the pictures anyway, but the notes and the um, people that have told me that I've just made their year tolerable, you know, and, and that I provided the sort of like their eyes, you know, to see the world through my eyes, it's just been so, um, satisfying, you know, to, um, that was something I didn't even think about when I started doing this and publishing them on Instagram and Facebook. And, um, so I, that, that's just another blessing. You yeah,
0: know? no, it's, um, that's something I've, uh, gotten some feedback on as well. And also something I haven't really, didn't really consider too much, um, as far as going out there and taking photographs of deer, um, a lot of people didn't really, I and mean, people still went hunting cause you know, you're, you're still isolated when you're out there, but there's a lot of hunters out there that are, you know, from cities and stuff that usually go out to different parts of the country to do their hunting or they drive out somewhere and do their hunting and they didn't feel comfortable doing that. And I've had several people reach out to me this year and say, you know, Thanks for taking these photos. It brought me back to the woods. I understand. I I always try to tell a story either through captions on Instagram or through the photograph itself. Explain the process I went through taking the photo and kind of bring whoever's taking the time to read it into the world that I was in at the time where I took that photograph. And that experience resonates with people because you don't really realize how many people have had similar experience to you being out in the woods and being out in nature. And whether it be just someone who appreciates the world around them or someone who is a hunter and appreciates the feeling of sitting in the woods all day and waiting for an animal to come out. But if you bring someone into that world with you and you let them feel the feelings that they felt before while they were out there, it's a very powerful thing, especially in a time where they can't do it themselves.
1: Right. It was inspirational. You know, I see those bucks you, you post and it's like, oh my God. You know, like if I'm a hunter, I'm thinking, I wish I would have seen something like that. (laughs) You know, there's still hope. Maybe someday I'll see that. And I think that way as a starver, you know, it's wonderful to bring back, you know, I mean, again, I've never had that, you know, experience to go out and shoot a deer, Mm -hmm. you know, or anything like that. But, you know, I, I, it, it's almost like the same thing you know to a point it's the hunt it's the thrill you hear people say the thrill of the hunt well i I mean i really think that's what it is you know Mm -hmm. well you you
0: understand it pretty much the same way because the one thing i've learned doing photography of things like deer because there's plenty of times that i'm out there where i'll see a big deer walk out a big buck and I'll be sitting out there and the thought does cross my mind. Oh, I wish I had my rifle instead of my camera. <laughs> it mm, happens. Yeah. And, um, but I still get that same feeling of that same thrill, that same adrenaline rush, that same you know, what they call buck fever, where you, you see this animal come out and you spent so much time planning and tracking and you got the right clothes on. You controlled your scent, You played the wind. You were quiet. You sat there for hours. You got out before sunrise and you put all of this time and effort into this one particular five second window that happens. And it all, the plan just comes together. And when that happens, it is the most fulfilling feeling in the world. And it's the most um, satisfied you will ever feel uh seeing an animal like that whether you're out there hunting or whether you're out there taking photographs. So I feel like you definitely understand where someone who hunts would come from with that because hunting is never really about the kill. It's never about inflicting pain on animal. It's not about um you know causing any harm. It's a very very strong sense of appreciation for the animal that is providing you with food and the experience. And I think a lot of people who don't hunt uh, don't really understand that. And by going out there with a camera, you do have a a solid sense of that exact feeling that anyone who's ever hunting will tell you they felt. It's a, a deep kind of connection where almost you feel one with the world around you as small as it may be. It's huge to you. I agree yeah that's just it's a really good really good way to go about things and i've found that i almost enjoy taking my camera out more than i do taking out a bow or a rifle now because i mean it's it's necessary for me I, i provide food for my family and you know that's that's what i do and i have no gripes or problems with anyone who thinks that you know it's a wrong thing to do this play people who are against people who hunt and the common question i get all the time is how could you hunt And, you know, kill a deer, but also go out there and find the beauty in them. And it's it's the same answer I give them. Well, just because I hunt them doesn't mean I don't find the beauty in them. So, yeah, that's kind of how that goes. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, your photos on a whole, back to like telling stories through your pictures, like I'll take, I, I don't consider myself a professional in the sense of, I don't think my work is bad, but I don't think it's up to par with people who are actually um, in the business and have been the business for decades on the whole. And I, I know a bunch of photographers around the country who, and you know, I've spoken with a lot of them around the country, who are very involved with the business of wildlife photography, most notably for things like deer and elk and turkey and wild game. Now, I don't think my work is, is bad by any sense. I think it's good. I, I'm proud of the things I put out there, but – what I try to do is tell the stories to the photos, but I can't always do that. And I think that's something I haven't fully understood yet is telling a story for the photos. I could take a good photo, but not every photo I take is going to tell a story. It's almost as if when I look at the photos that you put out there, every single one tells that story. And I don't do you, I, you've been doing this for a long time and take it from a younger man's eyes here, how difficult it is to do that. You have such a knack for it because of your, background in photojournalism. It's something I'm striving for every single time I go out there and it's, that's what really catches me about the photographs that you put out there because you don't have to try to tell the story. I have to actually um, dictate a lot in the captions I put out there in my post on Instagram and Facebook and social media. I had to dictate a lot of the feelings that I was feeling, whereas only a couple of my photos were instantly people understood. With yours, it's Basically, everyone I could understand exactly what was going on that scene, exactly what was going on in your head when you took the photo, and that is a gift, my friends. I, I really commend you for how much you've translated your photojournalism background into wildlife photography. It's it's some simply amazing things you're doing, and I think that if you really keep up with it, you're going to. Um, become on, on the forefront of the current age of wildlife photographers just based on the experience that you had and what you're putting out there so i mean that's just my little tidbit of uh, how good your work is
1: <laughs> well i mean very kind words and i truly appreciate it and um, you know i mean uh, i mean i guess it's kind of like uh, I mean, no one realizes how hard I do have to try. You know, it it is that sort of thing, even to do this. But, you know, again, uh, as you said, I mean, to me, it's about, again, as you said, telling stories and um, capturing moments and capturing moments that tell stories. And it was never really any different in photojournalism. It's a little more, as we talked about, difficult with birds, and they're a little more, uh, quite a bit more unpredictable for the most part. Um, I have a ton of patience, you know, especially when I have a camera in my hand. Oh, you need
0: it. You uh, can sit
1: in the same spot and not move for uh, five hours, six hours. Doesn't affect me in the least. I truly enjoy it. My knees start, you know, I've been morphing and figuring out different ways of being able to spend even longer out there, you know, like uh, different mm-hmm. kinds of seating and different kinds of, uh, I don't know, staying warm and different kinds of camo and hand warmers and, you know, like protein bars and fluids and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff that you don't think has anything to do with photography, but it does. But now I think, you know, patience is the biggest thing and letting my mind continually, as I would do as a photojournalist, if only that person would walk right there, this would be a really tremendous picture. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I want to tell, I think what a lot of people don't do with wildlife photography and, you know, I've tried to dissect it and learn But you see so many static images of, um, just birds sitting on a branch, you know, um, the light's not great. It's the middle of the day. It's, um, I don't know. It's a a picture of record of an owl or a picture of record. It's not
0: a bad picture. It's just nothing spectacular or unique.
1: It's a wonderful picture for what it is, Mm -hmm. but it's just, I'm trying to take it a step further. And I think, um, you know, to me, that means, you know, again, it's not just, I'll put it in photojournalism terms. It's not just a portrait or a headshot of this person, but why am I there? What do they do? Why am I, here to tell their story like what is it about their story that needs to be told you know and and to me that's behavior and you do that really well with the deer you know like the bucks chasing the does and the the little little two does you had the other day you know that was really (laughs) cool and and, uh, you know those kinds of pictures that do right away evoke some kind of emotion or some kind of thought or some kind of wow you know like a wow and I want as I edit to go through and say, wow, you know, I mean, uh, I'm looking right now the other day, you know, again, I I told you how I uh, used to sit at the end of the dock, no camo. Well, on the edge of our property, we have this tiny little pine tree. And I've used bungee cords to bungee back the bottom bows Mm -hmm. when I'm there and just have a little more shooting, you know, up at the sky or whatever. And I'll sit under there and camo and, and, um, you know, just sit still in the shade or whatever. And, the other day I had two uh, um, hooded mergansers, a male and a female, swim like literally, I don't know, you know, 10 yards away from me. Oh, wow. And they're like. What an opportunity. Yeah. they're like, they didn't see me. And they came around the edge of the, you know, the shore and the boat hoist and, the, you know, all this stuff. And all of a sudden they came around this little point where my thing is on. I'm on the, the north side of the point they came around from the South and sort of swam around North and they're like, Oh my God, like who, what is this? You know? And, <laughs> and, but, and I'm like, Oh my God, like, where did they come from? They never saw them swim <laughs> up." And so I, you know, was able to like do this huge series of these ducks, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. I got them, you know, from sitting saying, Oh my God, to like flying away. And, and, uh, I posted one yesterday on Instagram, you know, it's just a tight shot of, uh, put in merganser, but the feather patterns and, you know, just they're all perfect. Like the distance between each one and something you would never see with your bare eye. But to me, there's, you know, 40, 50, 60 shots or whatever. And it's all about in part that, you know, post-processing the editing and uh, being able to select which of those pictures tells the story the best, the nuances, the, in really like thinking on the fly, literally, you know, as he stuck to go and composing and watching the backgrounds and watching how you're not just bullseying him in the center of your camera, but thinking rules of thirds and on the fly. And, mm-hmm. and you know, what's in the background and at what point we have a stupid no wake sign, like right out in front of my place. So I oh, just I ruins know where that no wake sign is, <laughs> you know, and Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And you're trying to, you know, think around that and compose and where's the light coming from and is the light going to kiss them as they fly through in a certain area? I'm always thinking like that and always thinking that, again, rules of thirds and like, you know, one of my big things I really love and I I was trying to think of a name for my, like a, a website or a sales site or I shot that cardinal picture. There's three tips of the feather down on the ground. Yeah, that's
0: thing. an amazing shot. I love love that shot.
1: But so many like I I go for that. That's like kind of my like holy grail thing with every bird is to get those three tips touching the ground or the the water or you know whatever and and uh, just finding the most pleasing angles of the wings and the tail and you know having them come at you instead of away from you and you know all those things you just work at and work at and work at, and um,
0: and you can control none of it. That's the hardest part. Yeah, <laughs> you have to
1: wait. But I think the photojournalism prepared me for that. The concerts prepared for you know. I'm you're as you talked about adrenaline. I was that way at concerts. The adrenaline of seeing Freddie Mercury two feet away from you, literally, like leaning there, photographing him. But having to think through that adrenaline to be creative. It's yeah, the same way. You can't way to be, it can't when be I in the moment. It. Yeah, I see a duck or I see a deer. My heart beats, as you said. Uh, mm-hmm. I get so excited, but like it's like shooting bullets in the night. A lot of times, these ducks, they're just like, you know, they're so fast and yep. so, uh, it's so dark. And so, all these problems to me are just like my photojournalism days. I always had to be ready to shoot anything that was in front of me. I didn't have to be the best at it. I just had to be capable to bring back a picture that would. On A1 of the paper or or whatever that day. I had to have something that was publishable that told a story. It's nothing different. That's something I always
0: preach to. uh, A lot of people send me messages on Instagram and Facebook asking me for advice, and I'm always pretty upfront with them. And I tell them, listen, I'm not the best by any standpoint, but I understand the fundamentals of being patient, and that's probably one of the most important things when it comes to wildlife photography. You're going to have to make peace with the fact that you're going to be out there for eight, nine, 10 hours some days and get nothing. You have to, you have to be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate every second you're out there. And every time you walk back to your house with nothing on your SD card, but it's a reality. And if you could stick that out and still enjoy yourself, you'll be great at it. And, you know, with your background in you know being able to capture the moment and wait patiently for it and remove yourself from the moment because you know you have a job to do that that's such a powerful thing to have in the world of wildlife photography where you literally cannot control any aspect of what you're shooting
1: yeah i think people you know i mean one example i think we talked about paying your dues i feel like every time i go out i have to pay my dues that day i have to stay quiet i have to stay still i have to be hidden. I have to keep sharp. I think that's what I love most about birds in focus. I have to be ready to go at every moment. I don't know where they're coming, but you know, one, one example, the, we talk about patience and we talk about vision, the, uh, the red-tailed hawk and the chipmunk circle of life. You know, that picture that I shot that day, I was walking with another photographer and You know, we were on the edge of the woods and at a Metro park, you know, and it's a huge, tremendously wild place, but you know, the animals, there's a number of birds that fly through and, you know, that live there and all that stuff. But we found this red tailed hawk and uh, made pictures around it. You know, he and I both kind of circled it at a distance and and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go. I said, uh, he said, you want to go walk? And I said, no, I'm gonna hang out. Are you serious? Goes, I don't have patience for this sort of thing. It's like <laughs> well, you're not little, gonna get the photos, <laughs> you know. I got pictures of them from ang- every angle, and I'm like, well, okay, I'm gonna stay. I'll see you. And I waited, and I waited with that hawk for two hours over two hours just standing there in the winter, in the snow, in the cold. You know, it barely moved, it was just roosting. I got a st- Beautiful series of pictures, though, you know, it fanned out its tail for me once it hit this beautiful shot from behind with this red tail fan, you know, I got a couple of really nice tight headshot type things of it. Mm-hmm. I got it, uh, you know, like fluffing its feathers, like all the little nuances to when it took flight and it went out of sight. And I guess at that point, I could have continued going the way I was going, you know, it was two hours later and continuing to the right, like I was doing, but I thought, well, it flew to the left, I'm going to go see where it flew, and which was out of sight and 100 yards away through the woods. And, and so I followed it, you know, and, and me and another photographer, a different photographer, they came and went during the two hours I was there. But anyway, I got to the point and here's this hawk and it's like, on the ground and it's jumping up in the air and spewing leaves all over the place and then looking where it jumped and it would jump and leaves fly and look and jump and leaves fly and look, it did that over and over and nothing happened. And then it flew straight up in the tree again. Okay. It's perched again. I could have left. It's going to have to go hunting again, but you take signs from what's happening. And I think, okay, well, it obviously missed whatever it was looking for. It's probably in those leaves somewhere. It's going to sit up there and watch for it. It wasn't 10 minutes later that chipmunk squealed. The hawk dropped. It flew straight at my nose, the hawk with the chipmunk in its claws. I didn't know what to do. It was coming straight at my head. I ducked. I missed the shot. It flew up in a tree branch, and when I die with a chipmunk, and proceeded to eat it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I had never seen anything like that.
0: And you wouldn't have, have if you so didn't So many
1: shots. Yeah. Again, editing out from two hours of shooting to that one frame, I think that's where we need to be really critical. But the patience part of it, I think, and the vision part of it, and thinking like the hawk or thinking like, you know, your bird or whatever, you know, it, it, you have to, like, put yourself out of your body and say, well, okay, if I sit here, I'm not just going to get lucky. I might get lucky. But what is that bird going to do? What are the signs it's going to take off? What are the, um, you know, do I know they're going to group up and five of them fly by at this time of day? Or
0: Yeah, that's why animal behavior and knowing it is so... Critical to doing yep. wildlife photography. It's not just, oh, I see an animal, let me take a picture. Once you yep. see one, it's the same as if you were at a casino at the craps table. You never walk away on a heater. If you have something in front of you, you focus on it and you wait until you no longer have it or you no longer know where it went, but you do not let
1: that moment pass. And right. incredibly. Absolutely. A bird that, in the hand. You know that old saying, bird in yeah. the hands with two in the bush. Very true.
0: Yep, it's that's so a prime true. example. <laughs> yep. yeah. No, that's very true. And it paid off for you because, like I said, that's probably my top two favorite photos from you are that one and the photo you have of the cardinal. And I can't decide which one I love more. But um, it really paid off for you in that sense because had you made the decision of even after two hours saying, all right, I put in two hours. I don't think it's going to happen when took a walk. I mean, there's always that little voice in the back of your head that says, eh, you know, I'm done here. Maybe I'll go find something else. You're always looking for that next best thing. We don't realize the next best thing might be right in
1: front of you. Yeah. I hate to even say like the cardinal picture. I almost didn't edit out, you know, oh, yeah. I didn't. That I wasn't, I went out there that day to see hawks and eagles and I was really disappointed. I didn't see hawks and eagles and I got the tail end of a hawk and saw the Cardinal and shot a few pictures and anticipated what he was going to do. I really did anticipate and be in the right spot and knew what he was going to do, fly from weed to weed. And I focused on him till he took flight from the weed. That was the first shot I shot and, um, nice get it three, four five times and moved on and was all bummed that I didn't see any Hawks that day other than the tail end of the one. And, uh, but I didn't post it for days. I didn't go back in and I finally went in. I thought, oh, well, I guess that's kind of cool. You know, it's so hard to edit your own work, even after doing it for 40 some years.
0: Oh, I know. Oh, I know. And you know, it's funny you say that because some of the most well-received photographs and actually some of my best selling photographs, my best selling photograph right now is the one of that book I called uh, close encounter. But that mm-hmm. buck is kind of just walking straight at me, put his head down. That photo sat on my computer for about, I want to say a month, and I did nothing to it. And I looked at it, and for whatever reason, I didn't see it as anything that incredible. I thought it was a good photo, a good photo of a deer, good photo of a nice buck. And I was like, eh, maybe I'll do something with it, edit it a little bit, and I'll see how it goes. And then one day I was in a lull. I was uh, on Instagram. I'm like, eh, "What should I post today?" I was trying to post once a day. I was trying to keep up a nice schedule. I'm like, I'll put this photo out there, and it blew up immediately. I was floored that so many people loved it. And it goes back to what you said about critiquing your own work. It's so difficult to critique yourself because I think maybe in your mind you have that shot you want, you have that shot you've seen someone else take or something that you have perfectly planned out. And when you don't get it, you almost get down on yourself, but you don't realize that you already captured something else that was just as good, but it wasn't what you were looking for. That's why it's like so hard to do that. I have so many, I have a couple thousand photos right now that I haven't put out there and I did it on purpose because I knew the baby was coming. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get out into the woods yeah. very often. And I knew um, I would need kind of like that buffer of being able to keep up the sure. posting every day or every other day. And even some of those photos I put out now that I think they're not, eh, this maybe isn't my best, but it's still good. It's, it doesn't really tell a story, but it's still good. It keeps people involved. It keeps the work consistent. And some of them, again, just blow up and people love them. And I get messages saying that people want to buy a print of it or they want to use it for their advertising Uh, part of me is like, I can't believe you want this one,
1: (laughs) but look, it's in the eye of the beholder sometimes. Well, you said it earlier, different things resonate with different people, bring back different memories,
0: you know, whatever it is. I had a
1: sunset with some geese that somebody sent me a note and said, Oh, it just reminds me of, you know, that time as a kid where I would go here all the time. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a big problem too. Happy that you love it.
0: Yeah. That's a big problem too. With, um, a lot of photographers um, who are just doing it for, I guess, for likes and vanity metrics and follows and things like that. They don't realize you don't need a thousand or two thousand or ten thousand likes or a million followers to make an impact on somebody. You should be focused more on that one person who will appreciate it because they will appreciate it more than the other five thousand people that just double tap the screen. That's where you should be trying to reach, not the masses. You got to be focusing down on the one person that can relate to that photo. If you do that, if you hit one person from a photo that you post and they tell you, I love this, this reminds me of this, this is my. This is like when I was a kid and I went to this place and they start telling you a story and you let them relive that moment, then everything else doesn't really matter. You, you, you connected with somebody and that's what is probably the most important thing as far as wildlife photography goes.
1: And I think, um, you know, other than the best advice I could give other than just sitting still and learning to sit still and, you know, letting wildlife pass and, you know, knowing the, you know, researching habits, things like that. But, um, you know, it's just really shooting to please yourself. And you need to create for yourself and you need to not create to keep up with somebody else or, You know, I see everybody going to the osprey nest at the metro park for the easy 600 shot or the, Mm -hmm. you know, the whatever, you know, this bird is so easy to shoot there. That's this owl that, you know, everybody you go and there's 40 people in a circle. I'm more out just to please myself. And, you know, I'm hoping if I please myself, I think I'm the hardest critic that I would have. And. I'm hoping that if I please myself, I'll keep that high bar up that I, it just goes to say, I'm going to please other people, you know, if I please myself. So, Oh yeah. I completely understand that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we've been doing this for about an hour now and I don't want to cut you off short, but I do have the baby at home and I can't stick around any longer. So I'm going to start uh, wrapping up our episode. I do want to have you back on in a future episode, though, because I think we have a lot more to talk about. You have definitely a lot more information um, to give people and all of your advice and experience is just invaluable to anyone who wants to get into the field of photography, whether it be photojournalism or whether it be wildlife photography or just photography in general, it's people like you are the people that we all need to learn from because you walk the walk, talk the talk, and you've been through all of the experiences that, you know, the growing pains of being a photographer, a professional photographer and making a career out of it over your lifetime that a lot of people don't understand. And if they could hear your story and learn from your experiences, it'll probably make their lives a lot easier and probably better for the industry as a whole. So before we uh, wrap it up, I'm going to give you an opportunity to plug your website, your Instagram, anything you are selling, offering any kind of job postings you want to put up, whatever you want to talk about, by all means, go ahead and throw it out there. Now the floor is yours, Steve.
1: Well, I, appreciate and I love sharing, so I always mentored my whole life through, uh, you know, managing internships and students and taught for seven years. I um, It's a big part of my life to share. I think I've learned as much from others as hopefully I give back to them. Um, you know, again, this is a new venture for me. I, um, I still do this for a living full time. I, uh, you know, freelance full time. I still do higher ed. Uh, you know, I have some wildlife on my website. Um, I uh, I need to listen to the podcasts on uh, the business side because I don't get the business side of um, <laughs> nature photography at this point. And I guess I'm still, um, you know, ramping up to do that someday, I hope. But uh, I, I in the process of making a sales site, I don't have that yet. Uh, but I do have an Instagram. Um, I have a couple but uh my uh, uh at s-j-e-s-s-m-o at s Jesmo is my um instagram where i publish most of my wildlife on uh i have a website uh www.stevejessmore.com uh you know i keep uh a lot of my uh higher ed work and uh, you know some wildlife on there uh you know, my email, uh, just steve at com. If anybody wants to contact me, I'd love to try to answer any questions for you. Um, you know, I guess I hope I'm approachable and, um, uh, you know, can be helpful for people. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, again, I'm learning, uh, you know, I, I, I got a special feeling this morning. Like I said, when I saw that Facebook memory that it's been one year where I really started doing this and, um, I'm, uh, You know, all I can say is I'm glad that I had that gift of that year. That um, I didn't wallow and I didn't let uh, you know uh, let myself just uh, fall into depression or something else. That I I forced myself to learn and um, try something new and get out of my comfort zone. And uh, while I made uh, you know no money basically on wildlife photography this past year, I do feel like it was one of the best things I possibly could have done for my business. People saw that I was out creating and uh, not having to be paid to create and to uh, inspire people just by doing what I did. And, um, you know, I don't think it gets any better than that. So, again, I don't know where I'm headed. Um, I know I'll freelance for a while, but I do know I'll do the wildlife, I think. I think I found my my uh happy place you know this this last year at least for uh what i'm doing um so uh i, I guess i'm i guess that's about it
0: okay hey look um i just want to thank you very much for being on the uh, Shutters and Shells podcast. I really do. I thank you for taking the time. I know we all have uh, things going on in our lives and just giving up in that extra hour to come out here and talk and share your knowledge with everyone is a, is a huge thing. So thank you so much for that. For anyone who is uh, listening by and wants to know, you really should give Steve a follow on Instagram. He has some... Amazing, amazing photographs on there. It's at sjesmo, and uh, I'll be linking that in any of the Instagram posts I make for this podcast as well, in the podcast description as well. Uh, this is the Shutters and Shells podcast, episode four. We're going to be heading out. You can view all of and uh, listen to all of these episodes on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other major streaming platforms. You can also view them on www.shuttersandshells.com and keep up with the, later, the latest in uh, hunting photography in the great outdoors on our Instagram page. Page, which is at, S, um, at I almost said at sjesmo, <laughs> which is at shutters and shells um, my name is Dom my Instagram is at dom.iwc and uh, it's really been great having you Steve thank you again for coming out thanks for having me you're welcome All right. can't wait to do this again soon